Another thing they're very good at, Matt, is pasteurisation. They are. Thank you for pasteurisation. <laughs> good or bad? Discuss. You could see me riding off on that high horse, couldn't you? So um, <laughs> leave the stop flogging the horse. It's lost <laughs> Leave it alone. Thanks to Cry Malt, local malt for local beer. This is Good Brews Week, episode 206. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me is my co-host, Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. G'day, Pete. Nice to chat after a little bit later in the day than we normally would. Still not a decent hour to crack a beer, though. Not quite, no. Especially not when you're just about to go and do school pickup. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? Because we're both in the same situation. We uh, work from home um, around our children's schooling. Um, and, yeah, there's a really bad look when you turn up at school, um, reeking a little bit uh, of the, the sampled products. Yeah, that's right. Just You just can't do it. And, and it's it's not responsible. Well, no, it's, it's not responsible, um, obviously. Because what we, you know, like what's not a good look for um, for beer generally is, is stuff like, you know... Um, uh, Sydney mum on ice causes havoc at, at school pickup, <laughs> and that, that sort of thing, which seems to pop up in uh, in my newsfeed with um, disappointing and uh, dis- despairing regularity. So yeah, we we're just not like that. No, but let's not get me on the high horse about what's a good look for beer and what's not a good look for beer so early in the show, Prof. We want to uh, keep this a nice tight show. That's it. We could yeah, rabbit holes. We could get pig piles of outrage. But let's just go on with um, some stories that are making news this week. And we're going to look at uh, craft beer waits for more consumers to join its movement. We're going to have a quick look at uh, how local is a product <laughs> that then goes national. And was it ever intended to? We have a look at the feedback that came about as a result of a great Bruise News article on pasteurisation. And does craft need to rethink its attitudes towards same? Uh, and uh, on a little bit of a sad note, but um, opened Facebook this morning to the news that uh, Bridgeport, after 35 years, uh, is closed its doors and will cease production in uh, in March. Look, it's it's probably been on the cards for a little while in terms of falling sales, um, downward projections, and all that sort of thing. But I was lucky enough to to visit Bridgeport, and for you know Australian drinkers who are perhaps unaware, there's very much an Australian connection. Bridgeport in um, Portland, Oregon, was something of a flagship back in you know 35 years ago when craft was sort of really kicking off in the states. But it took a bloke by the name of Phil Sexton, um, you know, the artist formerly known as the guy who created Matilda Bay and Little Creatures, um, breathed life into it and and got it up and running. As I say, was lucky enough to to visit there back in July last year and was just, just I don't know, it was, it was just too good, too good for words. It was just a, a, a really lovely place, great vibe, all that sort of thing. So really sad to see um, a brewery that's been around that long um, fall over. Yeah, and look, it's, I mean, it's almost, I don't know whether appropriate is the word, but it's almost uh, relevant that this has happened during flagship February, um, which we've talked a, a little bit, because Bridge Road is one of those um, beers that really created a lot of excitement you know, early on. And you know, as you said, Phil Sexton has a connection there, and you know, it was pretty much uh, coming back and creating little creatures. Um, so yeah, you know, yeah. it, it, it's very, very relevant. And Bridgeport too had quite a role to play in the, I guess, the emergence of that Pacific Northwest style American IPA. 
while Sierra Nevada and, you know, for those playing along at home and hoping to win a trivia quiz question one day, um, a stout was actually the first beer, the first cool beer that, uh, that Sierra Nevada put out. But then for a long while, it was the, their pale ale. And their pale ale probably uh, was as hop forward as, as some IPAs, uh, local IPAs are nowadays. But they were really sort of the flagship for, for that, you know, um, Pacific North, Northwest hop style but bridgeport was was i think one of the ones that really brought out that um that ipa took that ipa uh, i guess to into, into the public view yeah no uh, very much very much so yeah yeah so sad to say that yeah, in flagship february um that um not only is the flagship been uh, discontinued but um yeah the whole lot which is a shame yeah. um uh, Matt, you pointed out a, an article in i think it was good beer hunting uh show notes There'll be a, a marker there for you. Craft beer wants um, waits for more consumers to join its movement. I mean, most of our listeners would be aware of uh, Good Beer Hunting, which is a beer news and opinion. So it's probably, a, it's a, I don't know that I'd say it's like Brews News. It's a little bit different, um, but they've got some very good writers and they really do have some interesting takes. Um, they don't buy... Unreserved. Including Australia's own Luke Robinson, which you Luke, point out. Luke Robinson, yeah. Um, they, but they don't buy unreservedly into notions of craft and notions of independence. Um, and they've written some very interesting posts um, looking at you know the the moving feast that is the um, craft beer, you know, the, the Brewers Association, the US's defi- definition of craft, um, which was once you know small, independent, traditional. But they seem to, you know, small has, uh, you know, it, well, it, small's it, relative, isn't it? it, it, it it's, it's sort of like a like a as long as it's small, meter. as long as it's small compared to whatever AB InBev is, is pumping out. Um, the, well, but the, AB InBev the, the goalposts can can be moved. But Anheuser Busch hasn't been increasing in its size. What what has been increasing is the, you know, Dogfish Heads and the Sierra Nevadas, and the in in particular the. Um, uh, Boston Beer Company, which you know keeps going through the the, the, the roof, um, and so so look, read this article. I don't want to sort of get bogged down, sort of pulling it apart completely. But there were some really interesting observations about the definition of craft, and the, the headline comes through. Um, you know, the, the Brewers Association um, has got its independence logo. They've recently launched in the last week. Um, you can become an independent beer supporter. Um, you know, so they've got a logo for supporters. Um, and it's basically saying that, you know, you, you can have a party, but people don't necessarily come. And uh, you can say there's a craft beer or an independence movement, but consumers maybe don't really care as much as the, the people. And so, yeah, so really good article to, to read. And it, it caught my eye because it is such a good summary and it's, it's a little bit of a con- contrarian's view um, to, you know, all of the buying about independence. But... The reason it was relevant was because of that second story that you alluded to, um, and we've linked to the news story on Facebook. It was a Seven News um, Brisbane, uh, Seven News, uh, maybe Sunshine Coast. Goal, yeah, Sunshine Coast, I think. Um, talking about uh, Umundi Lager going national, and Prof, we've talked about this, uh, you know, a couple of times. You know, whenever you know about why the big brewers are buying or starting or you know doing these. It, it, craft beer itself isn't growing. Um, sort of massively in terms of an iron jack um so they're still getting their volume from there but they are trying these little brands it gives them a reason it gives publicans a reason to keep a a contract because they can offer a variety of styles 
Um, and one of the selling points for you know something like Yumundi, which is named after the place that it is nominally brewed, um, is that you can create a strong local brand. Hopefully, it resonates with people, and then scale it to one of your big breweries. Um, and then that, that's what the news story was saying that Yumundi Lager is now being made in Sydney. Yeah, the the spin on it is that it's it's become so popular. But the reality is that. The big brewers can't afford to uh, create a small brand and hope that it just stays within, you know, the the two hundred liter system oh, uh, in in the pub. The the idea is always to craft a brand that people identify with. Furphy's a perfect example, um, and this is the second time around for Yumundi, if I'm not terribly mistaken. Wasn't Yumundi originally a like a small brewery in Yumundi? And in then that- it was contract brewed once it grew. Yeah. Yeah, um, but, yeah. but it was and then, known, it, then it kind of disappeared, and then and, and then Lion bought the intellectual property back then, yeah, I believe, and reinvigorated. And, and look, there's nothing wrong, as we've said a hundred times. Chris Sheehan is the man behind the beer itself, the liquid, dare I say it. Um, and, and so it's it's a it is what it is. It's and a, Alan Tilden is uh, offside up there. Lovely blokes. They are mainstays of the Sunshine Coast um, beer community. Um, you know, they and again, this is just an observation. Um, you know. I, it, it, it's, it doesn't come loaded with any, um, you know, class warrior, you know, this is, but it, it is one of those things that, you know, if you, if, if you look at Lion starting a brewery um, in your Monday or Townsville or Byron Bay or Kosciuszko and, you know, saying that, you know, isn't it great that they're local breweries? That's not their aim. It's, it, it's the equivalent of um, digging behind the cushions on the couch um, to, Put your house deposit together. They're, they're just not, you know, a, a, a brewery at the pub at Yumundi just doesn't register on the scale for Lion unless they can scale it to one of their big breweries. Um, and I, I, I raise that because this article from Good uh, Beer Hunting looks at that and it looks at um, a, a guy who's done some surveys and crunched some data in the US and found that independence matters maybe. Um, to people who are immersed in the craft beer experience. Um, it means not a jot to people outside of the um, market. What we are seeing really matters and what we are seeing is influencing um, consumer purchasing decisions is the idea of local. People want to buy from their local brewery. What, what does something like Imundi scaling and suddenly coming out of Sydney mean for, for local? Obviously, they want people to think that it's deliberately or otherwise you know it helps that people think that it's local because it's got your monday on the label but what does it mean when it does grow and what does it mean for the rest of the market yeah and what does it do for people's uh, cynicism meters i guess when um when the big breweries do purchase or acquire or create you know a, an inverted commas small label uh are we always are we now just you know i guess that is the the bullshit detector just a little bit more finely tuned we go yeah yeah sure well see funnily um, enough I, I yeah i mean i actually you know if, if we're going to sort of talk about that I, I think people almost expect big breweries um you know having a money lager means that it's sort of camouflaged a little bit you don't you're not immediately connected that your money is made from line and so that helps the you know grease the wheels of the purchasing decision and and like you said before that it helps um the publican who can offer 20 taps while well, you've got 20 different beers not for, and people not realizing you're supporting the one multinational owned uh, conglomerate. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and that's I think, not that uh, there's anything wrong with that, no, or right with it, or whatever. But it just means that people can sometimes uh, be lulled into thinking they're making a, uh, a you know a support local decision when they're actually not. Yeah, and, and that's where cynical doesn't necessarily isn't pejorative. Um, but you know, in, in terms of becoming cynical, um, when you shared the Bridgeport story with me, Prophet, I'm just trying to find the other article I had. Um, I, I, I clicked through, you know, my Facebook feed suddenly. So I was doing a bit of reading about Bridgeport and um, what it mattered. And uh, um, <laughs> actually, one of the things I noticed in the article that I found it was um, started by a couple called Ponzi. So I guess there's no surprise that it. <laughs> Uh, were they were they sorry. schemers? <laughs> no, no. Sorry, that, that, that was a yeah, bad joke. But um, just trying to find uh, the, the story because in the same um, publication, the Beer Street Journal, um, there was a you know, big flashing banner saying Bridgeport closes after thirty five years, and right next to it, Dogfish Head um, has created a locale IPA brewed for the health conscious beer drinker. And, you know, in terms of my cynicism, you know, bullshit meter, that's when it goes off the dial. You know, you, you can sort of say what you want about big brewers. They are quite transparently out to sell units. Um, if, if people are drinking craft beer, they will drink, they will make craft beer. If people are making, Han has uh, released a gluten-free beer um, this week. Um, you know, if people are drinking gluten-free beer, Han will, you know, Lion will make a, people expect that. I, I look at a brewery like Dogfish Head that has always been, you know, one of the bastions of we are craft beer, we're different, we're better, we're this, we're that because we're independent, you know, we're traditional. Suddenly, um, you know, throwing carbohydrates into a bit, not for a brewed IPA, but for as soon as I see health conscious beer drinker um, in an article about, um, it, it, it triggers me, Prof. It, it's a you know, little bit of a trigger warning would help um, because it is. Uh, it, it, it's just such bullshit. When you read that a low-carb beer is for the health-conscious drinker, it basically says that every other beer is for the fat, stupid slob that is... Who doesn't care about their health. Who doesn't care about their health, yeah, which yeah. which can only damage... At a time when brewers are, um, beer drinkers are moving away from beer because of this perceived notion of healthfulness um, or lack of, um, it just sends the wrong message. And, uh, you know, to, for, for my cynicism, Mita, seeing, uh, you know, like, like a supposed leader of the craft beer industry sending out those mixed messages um, is, you know... The- well, particularly for a, a brewer who, who proudly sort of proclaims that, um, you know, 90-minute IPA is a session beer for non-pussies. Um, the attitude that, oh, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll sneak some... Uh, some carbs out of our beer to make it, you know, healthier. Uh, yeah, smacks of, um, yeah, I guess sniffing, sniffing the wind and, and, and uh, look, I guess it shows too that even the avant-garde innovator disruptors can still, at the end of the day, uh, I guess, you know, I won't say mature, but change their view, um, you know, along with the, with, Market expectations. Well, they, they, they took a stake from private equity, um, you know, and so still managed to keep the, um, you know, independence um, moniker, which again, it, it's one of those things where the, the more we see the goalpost shift, um, and it's the Brewers Association which wants to build this movement around independence, and yet they constantly dick around with definitions, and they're the ones who, more than anything, I think, fuel the 
cynicism that's around craft beer and ultimately people go you know i'm sick of trying to work out what is craft beer what is independence i'm just going to buy the beer that i enjoy drinking and that plays into um you know the, the ab InBevs of the world because they're there to you know they can brew it cheaper they can get they're the always going to get you on price yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so um but yeah so, so you know another thing they're very good at matt is pasteurization they are. Thank you for pasteurization. <laughs> good or bad? Discuss. You could see me riding off on that high horse, couldn't you? So, um, <laughs> leave the stop flogging the horse. It's not flogging the horse. It was just, but there was just so much no, in no. that little story. But anyway, yes. Yeah, yeah. Pasteurization. Nice little uh, article from uh, Megan. Um, it, it's been something that we've been putting a bit of focus on with our, you know, very limited resources um, at Brews News. And uh, you know, Brews, if you are listening, if you wonder. When sorry, this is just a gratuitous plug. We will come to some proper ads. Um, this is a house ad. If you know, prof, we get a lot of brewers of saying, you know, look, I'm interested in sponsorship. What do I get? Um, at, at the base level, um, what you get is you get to see us continue doing what we're doing, and you get to fund good quality independent journalism, which is what we're trying to do. And this is one of those stories because um, pasteurization is one of those voodoo um, words in in the world of craft beer. Um, much much like amylase was until last month. Uh, well, or until um, <laughs> a, a certain beer style that you might have uh, mentioned on Twitter recently. Um, but yeah, and if you go back 10 years, um, anything that small brewers couldn't do was a hallmark, you know, and that included canning, um, you know, it was a hallmark of shitty big beer. Um, suddenly, because enzymes, you know, are cool, craft brewers can use it, everyone's canning, um, all of those things. The one thing that people seems to get stuck in their throat is pasteurization. So we wrote a story. There have been a couple of high-profile product recalls recently. Um, and so when you speak to some of the people in the industry, we were down at uh, Brick Lane last year. They pasteurize. Um, Gay Droads, pasteurizers. Uh, Tribe, pasteurizers. Um, Stone and Wood now, pasteurise. And we are seeing a move towards breweries that have the resources pasteurising. And, you know, I, I don't know any of those four ever said that pasteurisation harmed the beer, um, but there is a perception that you can taste the, the, the pasteurisation. Um, but they're certainly, um, now that they've got the resources and the, the, the need, they're pasteurising. So great little article. Uh, but more important, Matt, and I think what what was more interesting for me was the, the split in the comments. Um, and the comments were coming from uh, a lot of very highly respected, um, technically very sound brewers, as well as, uh, you know, some who are more on the innovative side and, um, and that sort of thing. So uh, what really interested me was the fact that, yeah, in the same way that, you know, Neepers, oh, you put stuff in it and you can make it cloudy. Well, hang on, no, you're supposed to brew it and the byproduct of that is is haziness. Uh, in the same way, pasteurisation, oh, but hang on, you know, you you don't need pasteurisation if, you know, your sanitisation, if you're killing all the bugs before it gets to the to that stage, you know, you don't need to. And other people will then sort of say, but, well, hang on, but if you've, if you've done that and you pasteurise and you do certain types of pasteurisation, you don't actually strip all of the um, enamel away from the teeth, if you like. So you've, you've still got the um the, the guts of a, a really good beer um perhaps you might dull some of the flavor aspects but you, but not necessarily so that that for me i think was uh a really good point um brought forward to perhaps some people who who misunderstand pasteurization as sucking the guts out of a you know all the personality out of a beer 
but giving it shelf stability. Yeah, and was there any divide that you noticed between you know the the, the brewers? Was it sort of professional brewers who were still saying it doesn't do anything, or uh, no, well, they seem there seem to be equal amounts of comments of, of people who no, I don't feel the need to pasteurise, and I don't think it's a good thing for the you know I don't think it's the best thing for the beer. Others saying no, you can do it actually and have the the beer taste the same. Yeah. So, but anyway, one of the things that we're going to do is. Um, it's been something that I've been wanting to sort of delve into some of these things in podcasts before. So we've actually spoken to uh, John Selton at Brick Lane, and we're going to organise to do a blind tasting um, you know, of the same beer from the same run, from the same bottling run, um, before it hits the pasteuriser and after the pasteuriser, and we're going to get some uh, people in the room of varying... Um, you know, levels of industry involvement to join us for a uh, blind tasting to see if we can, um, you know, put that to rest because it, it's one Sounds of those cool. issues. Where, where do I sign up? Well, you, you'll be. In, I'm just. Yeah, obviously, these things uh, cost. Is this so, going to be something that our uh, our listeners can be a part of, or it, it we, will be? We're yeah. going to assemble a panel. No, no, no. It'll be something that we'll put the call at. This is just a teaser at this stage because um, we were hoping. I, I did have somebody who was interested in uh, sponsoring the podcast. Obviously, there's a lot of cost involved in doing this, and so we need to sort of try and work out how we sort of put it together. Um, and the challenge that we always have with these sorts of things, both you know, when you listen to brewers, brewers that don't pasteurise um, tend to say you de- you definitely taste the difference in pasteurised beer. Brewers that do pasteurise um, say that you don't. Um, you know, pasteurising equipment um, manufacturers who would have a vested interest um, in. A, a result you, you can't get them to sponsor it so it's just sort of trying to find the appropriate sponsors to uh um you know make this possible even sort of cover airfares and that sort of thing for us to sort of get down and um, cool. stage it so because uh, yeah. yeah it's it's not the sort of thing that oh you know we're going to prove some people wrong or you know uh, take away people's credibility it's really just uh, out of genuine interest i would love to know uh, opinion a versus opinion b where do the chips fall exactly Exactly. Hey, listen, uh, Matt, just quickly, before we move on to the mailbag, there was one story that I've just realised, just checking back on my notes, that I didn't uh, give a teaser for, which was an article um, that I think you wrote about um, ABAC and the social media concerns. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ABAC is one of those things that we keep an eye on. Um, you know, that's the advertising, uh, what is it, the... Uh, alcohol. Ad- alcohol uh, advertising... <laughs> Thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sorry, advise, a, advisory committee. committee. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but they basically have a voluntary code that says what you can and can't do around um, alcohol. It's industry run, um, and it, it's great in the sense that the last thing that we want is um, government regulating. Um, anything, um, because you see what happens in the New South Wales music industry as soon as a government gets its grubby hands on trying to um, control something. Um, so it, it is a voluntary code, um, and it does set guidelines around how and when um, alcohol can be advertised. Um, so it's a really um, – it upsets some people, and some brewers have inadvertently been caught up. Um, we've covered them in the past, you know, with uh, craft brewers – you know, wanting to push the boundaries and have a bit of humour and those sorts of things. We've had, you know, Ribena beer. That Ribena is a kid's drink and so you can get into a little bit of trouble inadvertently even with the, the best intentions. Um, even Sometimes even just because you're not aware of the provisions. Um, the story that I did this week, the ABAC um, brought out its fourth quarterly re- report for the last 12 months and it highlighted social media, which is an increasing 
problem um, that they've noted. And they gave three examples of cases where social media posts broke the convention and almost all of them related to um, people under the age of 25 being in the photo because you can't market to people under 18 and they set the, the limit that you know people under 25 can't appear in ads. Um, and the, the one I highlighted was an interesting one for Furphy where um, they've got a their marketing agency which you know then went out to a um, some sort of you know consumer um, marketing agency I can imagine a whole lot of people with ponytails and you know vests and flat caps and things like that and um, silent letters in their names <laughs> yeah. um, anyway so we're showing our age uh, but yes they uh, um, went out and they got a couple of social media influencers or SMIs um, who had over 100,000 um, followers because their lives are so desirable and cool and people want to be just like them and they paid for them to have a trip, three-day trip through Victoria and slung them $2,000 in return for posting 30 photos. Um, and they just happened to mention Furphy um, with the hashtag. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Um, is, it un- is, it, is it unkind or even unfair to refer to them as just flogs with blogs? Like, do we have to call them social media influencers? Well, the, but that's what they are. That's, they're, 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 you know, one they're man's, flogs one man's with blogs. flog with, well, 130,000 people are interested in what they are doing and what they're up to and what they're drinking and what they're wearing and how they're doing it, Prof. So, you know, again, to uh, you, Prof, you could call them flogs with blogs, um, but I would say that you're showing your age. <laughs> that was us no once, Pete. Pete. People used to send us uh, beer. Um, actually, have you been going? When, with when that? did you when did you last get paid two grand to take thirty photos? Uh, mate, I've declined. I've I've actually been approached. Um, I've been offered considerably more than that to have one retailer, one mainstream retailer, take over my Instagram feed, um, and I said no. <laughs> Such is, and I say that. Because I still... No, that's good. Just, no, no, just keep driving the price up. That's good. Play hard <laughs> no, to get. Well, no. Well, never, never accept the first offer, Matt. Well, no, it was one of those things where, you know, they, they wanted to take over my social media feed. And, you know, if somebody posted a photo of them at the beach, they would, you know, flick out something going, we've got the perfect beer for that occasion. You know, beer <laughs> Matt. And beer Matt's just in the background there with his grey cardigan. <laughs> I give this the two thumbs up. <laughs> as a as a professional beer expert, I can tell you the perfect beer for the beach is Corona. <laughs> and you know, you know, Prof, I've spent a lot of time maintaining independence and upsetting people um, and getting away with it because I'm not conflicted. Um, I thought you were going to say cool. But... And you know, like. Mate, I, I, you know, listeners probably don't need to know this, but I, I haven't sort of contributed towards my superannuation in over 10 years. Um, but, you know, so that, you know, five-figure, small, low five-figure sum would have done a good dent into the year. But, you know, ultimately I figured that your credibility is worth something. And if, we, if we're going to have this podcast, people can know that we can't be bought. That's it. Okay, let's go back to Furphy. Um, and, but we can be influenced. Well, we've got to keep moving and we've got to well, get to the mailbag. Okay, but, but the, very, the very interesting thing about it was that... Um, the people in it were under 25. Um, they'd been asked to sign contracts saying that they were over 25. They lied um, or they were untruthful, I think was the... Uh, um, and so lying... I, I, think we, I think we can say lie. If somebody asks you your age... And you sign a contract and you saying say, you're over 25. Them, and, and you sign something saying that, that it's not, then that, uh, that's a lie. Mm. 
Um, yeah, that's the definition of lying. Well, see, see, I, I Being untruthful. I wouldn't even lie to say, yeah, Corona, Corona is the beer that I'd be drinking if I was at the beach. Words, words have meaning and value, Matt. They do. But uh, funnily enough, that's what ABAC found. ABAC found that if you're going to incentivize people by paying them cold, hard dollars, then they might lie and you should do more to um, verify um, their, their, their age. So um, betting, betting to follow. Yes. So anyway, so but, but that's how hard it can be. Um, brewers, if you are listening, you really need to take note because we've had gauge roads that I think had a kid in the background of a skate park and things like that that have raised the ire of it before. So keep And, and we should out. point out too that, yeah, ABAC, uh, I'm pretty sure the, the way it works is that it, it responds to... Uh, either complaints or queries that are that are put to them. They don't uh, scan anything. You can you can send a potential ad, for example, or a social media campaign, or a poster or a label into them and say, "Look, would this be okay if we go ahead with this? Is there anything wrong with it?" Um, but generally, you'll do something um, in good faith, and then somebody will you know see it or experience it or say, "Ah, oh, I reckon that person in the background that doesn't look right," and then they can they can uh, make a complaint, and ABAC will then investigate it. And uh, they they so did... with the with the Gage Roads one and with the Furphy one, I don't know how it how it worked, but uh... as in as in what the what the process was. Well, but I mean that's the thing. Getting um, social media pre-vetted is almost impossible. Um, so yeah, Weird. like if, if you if you've got other things, you can get them pre-vetted, and it does cost. So like it, it's not um, that there is a cost recovery for it. But uh, anyway, um, social media, check out the ABAC and become um, you know aware of the some of the decisions and the ways that you might fall into the pit. Yeah, uh, another way, Matt, that you could ensure that your labels are of a high quality and uh, up to standard would be to speak to our good friends at Rallings Labels and Stickers. Mate, yes. Or you could even you could give them a call on one three hundred eight five two two three five to discover a more efficient way to get your small batch canning labels done. Because it's not just shrink wrap. We've talked a little bit about shrink wrap, but they do even, regular I've labels. Shrink, I was actually caught uh, nicely sleeves, caught out. Um, yeah, with a, a shrink wrap or a, a sleeve. That I wasn't aware was one until I was sort of, you know, uh, finishing the, the, the pouring the can. I thought, oh, okay, there you go. So uh, there are some reasonably well-known examples of the early iterations that that just looked, um, even by today's standards, um, you know, it looked pretty ordinary. Uh, but they're they're certainly improving. Yeah, and that's where Rallings. Um, are well, and apparently, Prof. The other thing is uh, apparently, um, Rallings has been you know, getting a lot of. Customers coming along, name checking that they heard uh, heard about on uh, Radio Brews News. Well, I would like to thank all of those people for that, but also to remind them that a we don't get a spotter's fee, and b I don't think you're going to get a discount from mentioning us. No, but if you are in the let's, industry, let's just put that out there. If you people listening are in the biz, you, we can help. Hey, you. It just goes to show that <laughs> uh, supporting this podcast and Australian Brews News in general, uh, you're not just getting your gear in front of eyeballs, but you're getting them in front of discerning eyeballs who can actually make purchasing decisions. As we say, we don't reach eyes, we reach minds. That's anyway, right. um, that's, yeah, I think we've paid a few bills there, Prof. We are, we, we, the, the commerce let's, is let's, just getting grubbier and grubbier. Let's pay one more while we open our mailbag. Thanks to Beer Cartel, all our letter writers will receive a Bruise News bottle opener and they will also go into the draw to win a mixed six-pack. Thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel who sponsor our Letter of the Week. I've got a letter here uh, with an apology and a shout-out to um, some guys who are up your way, actually. I think they're Brisbane-based, SMS, um, Sunday Sesh. 
Steve Mick and Steve. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Steve Mick and Steve O, I think it might be. Uh, and I, I did promise to give them a shout out on our uh, Hottest 100 countdown and had it there as a note and realised at the end that I'd forgotten to. So hello to the guys. And um, listen to their uh, White Brick Brewing with uh, Adam Gibb. Which I didn't realise, but that was their their first the first sort of interview that they'd done because up until then they'd been doing uh, you know sort of more beer review and a chat kind of thing. Really really cool format and um, and the guys uh, and this isn't meant to be patronising in any way whatsoever, but you can see the improvement and it's just one of those things. The more you do it, the better you get at it. Excellent. And so hello to those guys. Yes, absolutely. And, and also and just a quick one from last week because I can't remember whether I mentioned it or not because we were talking about. Uh, uh, John Hall's article about uh, how sometimes the bathroom facilities in breweries or uh, brew pubs or, pu- or or restaurants and bars can let down the overall experience. It's almost like they're, they're there as an afterthought. And Craig Whelan's from um, from Thirsty Crow did send us in um, a sample because I said to the guys, you know, if, you, if you've got a local pub or something like that or your local brewery that's got, you know, like funny denominators for, you know, the male and female toilets um, – send them in or share them with us. Um, and did, I didn't realise that Thirsty Crow, where the brewery is now, uh, was originally a fruit and veg shop. So they had a, you know, a suggestion for, I think the architect or the designer said, oh, for the toilets, you know, maybe have a banana and um, two melons for the, uh, <laughs> for the toilets, which, look, probably wouldn't fly. I don't, I don't know. That might upset some people. So glad they didn't go with that. I think they just went with a NEM and an F. There you go. So uh, now, Prof, if, if it sounds like our speed of conversation has sped up, it's because you, you are on deadline. You've got children to pick up. So let's get into the mailbag. Another five minutes. Okay. Um, uh, from Lee at Eckerbin. Um, Lee's been a correspondent in a previous uh, Letter of the Week winner. Um, just wanted to give you a shout out and ask on a couple of things. Listen and enjoy the Gabs Hodge 100 podcast. Thank you very much. Um, I don't use any social media at, at all and didn't hear it direct. Can I ask for future podcastable events? if a roll call of each breakdown of the 10 beers awarded every 30 minutes or so can be given. That's, uh, I've, I've actually had a few people mention... A few people did mention that. And look, uh, hand on heart, Mia culpa, we, as in Matt and I, we probably assumed that everyone was, was getting the results as they went along and then we would just sort of pick out either what was new or what was interesting or what was surprising or, uh, you know, whatever it was, rather than, yeah, reading out the 10 beers. Because yeah. I, I just find, you know, you, you could you were telling me some of the things and I was going, okay, and then a minute later, what were those beers again? Yeah, and, and, and look, that you know, we'll get better at our craft, but it's also very fast-paced. We assume that people are in front of their laptops or, or whatever. But as Lee said, yeah. um, and the, the second paragraph explains it a little bit more, being visually impaired, I find podcasts easy to listen to and both your Brews News and Beers of Conversation shows good to have a drink along to. Also, as a partially sighted person, what a beer looks like doesn't concern me too much. Um, a chicken soup Nipa is pretty much the same as an Imperial Stout or a Golden Ale, as long as I can enjoy it. Uh, I do drink from a glass, not directly from a bottle or can. Um, oh, that's good. That's good. But presumably you're not, he's not palately challenged because there's, there's still a lot to mouthfeel in terms of, you know, that, that silky, creamy stout versus, you know, a a clean, bright but, you gold know, nail. I think he's talking about, you know, when you sort of, you know, and it pours, it pours, you know, burnished gold with a pillowy uh, yeah. white head, you know. Sure. Like if you are sighted, um, that's relevant and it does form part of your, um, it's interesting because Prof, I'm colorblind. Um, and so I can see colors and I can sort of form, um, you know, like a view of what I'm seeing, but I can't describe the colour, um, but you know, I, I just sort of wonder if 
if you are partially sighted or um, non-sighted, whether you, how that affects your perception of flavour because you don't have those cues to start with. Um, you know, whether you really do have a much clearer perception of the taste of the beer because you don't have um, some of those other things that can influence perceptions of flavour. Good friend of the program, Kirli Walthorn, the beer diva, uh, going back well, when she was back in the days when she was but a special guest at uh, Craft Beer College uh, at Gabs, did a really, really interesting uh, music slash blind tasting where everyone was blindfolded and then we'd play music and they'd all have a, a, a beer given to them in the dark sort of thing. And you had to just use the the music and what you could taste of the beer and what memories that evoked and that sort of thing to try to work out, you know, what the what the beer was. So that it, it is a really interesting the number of people who given a dark beer, um, but you know there was the music and whatever influenced them to say, oh, I thought I was drinking a you know a pale ale. No, that was actually a porter. That sort of thing. There you go. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, sometimes, it, look, you know, it, I don't encourage people to a, try to pour things in the dark because you're just going to end up cleaning it in the light. Um, <laughs> but it is, if, if you can get somebody to do it for you and just say, just try this for me, yeah, and, and, and just to take how, how does colour impact flavour? Interesting call. Beautiful. Um, second letter from Brendan. This is our letter of the week, Prof, because I like this one only because it, you know, a lot of people say, love your show. Brings which, up an interesting point. Which, 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 we, which we love. But this is just a, somebody posing a question that they want us to ask. And, I, you know, I, I like, like that. From Brendan, just wondering what you guys think about the growing number of international craft beers, um, Anchorage, Brewdog, Against the Grain, etc., being imported recently. Do you think Australian beers are at risk of being pushed um, to the side by the rare or hype beers? What do you reckon? I reckon we probably have enough rare and hype beers to keep ourselves, uh, well, certainly as long as Bolter is brewing. I think, um, you know, hype beers certainly are going to keep social media pages ticking along. Um, but I think it comes down to, for me, my, um, my fear is that, you know, the container turns up. Um, and it's, it might be six months before the next container of that beer turns up. Now, either, you know, it all goes boom really quickly and then everyone's rushing around for the next big thing and perhaps by the time it comes around again, they're not that interested, uh, or it gets dumped. Um, people, oh, no, 26 bucks for a six-pack. No, I don't know about that. And the next thing you know, it's $14 in, the, in Dan's bargain bin or whatever it might be. Does that hurt that product? Um I think certainly now versus 10 years ago, the homegrown product stands up far more uh, steadily against the uh, the imported stuff. Yeah. But um, but at the end of the day, you've got a lot of, you know, uh, Australian breweries who are putting stuff into into China, Southeast Asia, into the States, into uh, uh, the UK. So it, if you want to grow, that, that's one way of doing it. So I, I guess we... we you know, you can't be against it. That, well, that's the thing. You know, the and, prof- be, and, be, and before local breweries doing it at the same time. I, I'll need to go back because I've referred to it a couple of times on the podcast. But you know, I, I remember my new beers resolution seven or so years ago was you know all things being equal, drink locally. Um, you know, meaning that if there's a local brewer making a great pale ale drink that one because it's, it's, it's good for the beer, it's good for the environment, um, a whole lot of things. And it's, you know, it's supporting your local industry. And I think that the surveys are showing that people really care about their, their local breweries. Um, but you did bring up an, an interesting 
point. And that's another one of those um, inconsistencies where on one hand, you know, craft brewers want to make a big thing of, you know, we are local, we're here, we're, we're sort of, you know, part of your community. But then, you know, so don't drink the imports. Um, but then also looking to, some of them looking to export markets. Um, and is, is, is that sending the wrong message to the consumer? Um, I don't know. But look, I, 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 you know, this is one of those things that the market will sort itself out. My observation is that, yeah, we're seeing a lot of beers coming in, but we're seeing um, the importers who bring them in, they seem to have an ever-changing array of beers. There are a couple of, you know, Sierra Nevada, um, you know, Vine Stefan, there are a couple of regulars um, who are always available because they're, they're big enough. But then some of the smaller craft breweries, you see them launch to much fanfare with a distributor who specialises um, in importing. And then, you know, you might hear the second um, batch and then nothing. So it seems to be an ever-changing um, portfolio because I don't know that there is demand for um, anything other than the novelty of a lot of these um, imports. Yeah, and look, at the end of the day, in a good, healthy, free market economy, the, the market will decide. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, yeah, and that's where if you can tell a compelling story. Um, yep. you know. and, there, and there's still quality and there's still price um, and, you know, um, what's it, value proposition and all those sorts of things, feel-good factors, all, all those variables um, will go to, you know, whether or not your, your beer stacks up um, and whether you can get it again next week. And funnily enough, I um, you probably haven't caught up on this week's uh, Beer as a Conversation Prof, um, caught up with... Uh, Mark Hazeman from uh, Founders First, who have taken a state. They're, they're an accelerating business. They take stakes in breweries and um, distilleries and winemakers, um, and to accelerate their their growth, they have a holding in Jetty Road, and they they're also the ones who recently invested in um, Sean Sherlock down at. Um, I keep wanting to say Ben Spoke, but it's just not Ben Spoke. It's uh, Foghorn. <laughs> Foghorn. Um, and so I spoke to Mark Hazeman for yesterday's podcast, and I also spoke to Sean Sherlock um, for next week's um, because I thought it would be a nice little bookend. And we've never spoken to Sean before, amazingly, on the podcast. And, uh, you know, so Sean and I started you know, a trip down memory lane to his early days of brewing um, in the late 1990s. Um, and the only beers you could get, really, that sort of broaden your horizons were imports and we've talked about mm. this before yeah. um that is much less relevant these days um and you know because you you have an amazing array of um local breweries and you know australian breweries and then local breweries that, that you can sort of sample the way that they they're, they're meant to be sampled which is uh, fresh and, yeah. and the market's learning that all right uh well that brings us to the end of episode 206 206 episodes mate well, it wouldn't, actually, wouldn't it, read about it. Well, it's two hundred and six episodes, but then it's actually considerably more if you. Uh, this is Radio <laughs> Brews News version, but it's well. No, right. I'm not even talking about the lost episodes <laughs> or the uh, the um, the great unpublished episodes. I'm just sort of talking about we're, we're out twice a week and have been for some time. Yeah, uh, no, one hundred percent. Yeah. One, one quick one before we we sail out. Um, yeah. Seems to be really positive feedback to the um, theme music. People don't mind it doesn't suck, Excellent. which is good. That's good. Uh, um, the other one is divided um, about whether we need a Facebook group. Some people love the idea of it. Um, so the jury's still out. Let us know. Um, last week we talked about whether or not we 
there, there was interest in us having a Facebook group just for the podcast to sort of talk, you know, flag issues, talk about it. Um, it's an easy place to sort of post stuff so so we can see it and then we can sort of, uh, you know, talk about questions. Um, but, but, but we, yeah, guys, we, we don't have the time or the effort or the inclination to moderate, you know, shit shovelers. And that so was, it would it, it would have to be it would have to be just. Uh, can you guys discuss this? What are your thoughts on this? Uh, I have a an opinion about something you said on episode two hundred five, that that kind of thing. And where everyone just has fun, and at the end we all sit around the campfire singing kumbaya. Yeah, well, yeah, and 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 it's not designed to be like some of the Facebook groups where there is endless debate, and we just you know don't want to have people coming in and you know just you know it, it's a chase a chance to. Um, raise questions and communicate directly with us in it, you know, in, in a sort of chat room because we don't want to moderate. And that was the one feedback that we had, and we don't want to take that on, Prof. You and I, are, you know, doing half, you know, half assedly enough things as it is. <laughs> got got um, better things to do. <laughs> with, with, than moderate the, a Facebook group <laughs> without. But let's let's it. let's give it another week. Um, send us in your stories, send us in your opinions, uh, and we'll see how we go from there. Perfect. But for now, uh, there's nothing left to do but to thank you all for listening. Uh, I've been Pete Mitchum. He's been Matt Kierkegaard. You've all been individually named and far too numerous to mention individually. So we will look forward to seeing you again next week for another episode of Good Brews Week. And we're out.